0: Uh, you get, especially if somebody makes a big bet and you start talking to them, we call it in in the poker business, you call it an interview. So you kind of interview them and just try to get them to start talking. So maybe you can pick up some signs from them, some tells from them. And it's extremely effective against amateur players. It's, but it's ineffective of course against top pros because they won't speak regardless uh, because they don't want to give anything away, but amateur players, you get them talking lots of times and it's amazing. Like you, you'll know what they have right away.
1: Welcome back to the Live Drop. In this episode, I'm talking with an old friend of mine who, among other things, plays high-stakes poker. I wanted to talk to him about that world, perhaps see how it could inform the role of intelligence, with the brinksmanship, the nerve, the bluff, and distraction, protection or transfer of clandestine information. When do you show your cards? Joe doesn't disappoint. He's a natural storyteller. Fills me in on some of the jargon, like what's a fish stalking? tilting, smooth calling, colluding, and the interview. He also reveals how important it is to control your breathing if the stakes are high and the nerves are starting to frazzle. I'll be taking a bit of a hiatus over the summer from the show as I finish up my last semester at a local school, Antioch, for my MFA in writing and contemporary media. And I'd like to thank everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have so far. If you have any questions or suggestions, I can be contacted at thelivedrop.com or thelivedrop at gmail.com. Uh, many thanks to Sasha Maggio for her assistance thus far, her diligent work on the website, Pete Turner for his insight and training, Ian Sanders for being so supporting and forthcoming, and all my guests so far Andrew Bustamante, Dagmar Hovestad, Dimitri Trennan, Evgenia Brick, Kevin Ryan, Tim Hall, Robin Dreek, James Vincel, Jack Barsky, Michael Hayden, Michael Brady, Mr. Fish, Anjay Arnold, Will Mackin, Michael Ryder, John Spencer, Helen Banner, Jason Hansen, Tom Picora, Lee J. Berman. Rudy Perina, Stuart Harrington, Dr. Mark Stout, Stephen Hoyt, Tom Favia, Sean O'Driscoll, David Rupert, and Joe Rivers. Thanks for a wonderful first year of podcasting. I've learned an immense amount about interviewing in the world of intelligence, espionage, security, and diplomacy. There's a lot of information out there. Always be listening. Share only what you need to get what you want. Build trust. Provide something in return. Consider your sources. Share a fact-based reality. Consider your biases. Put yourself in the shoes of the target. Act like you belong. Don't stand if you can sit. Rinse and repeat. Now my interview with Joe. Begin transmission. Yeah, we'll do it. So I'm talking with Joe Rivers, a longtime friend of mine. Joe is down in Florida. He works for iHeartRadio, I think, right now, Joe? That's correct. Yeah, we've been friends for a long time. And yeah, I, I do a podcast on intelligence, diplomacy, and related fields. And because there is a bit of... Um, brinksmanship involved in the intelligence world especially with espionage and cover activity i thought wow why don't i talk with joe about this because this this whole world of poker that he's gone into and has managed to um make quite a bit of money and lose apparently (laughs) uh, i don't really know maybe you have the you have the numbers for me but anyway joe thank you very much for being on live drop and uh what got you into playing cards
0: Well, I mean, I I used to play when I was young. I mean, I I remember one time playing all night, and my mother made us get up and go to church in the morning. And me and a bunch of guys went to the back of the church and brought the deck of cards and played. So I probably should have known then that those were signs I was going to want to play poker the rest of my life. Yeah. Um,
1: And it just kind of evolved. I mean, the main game I play is Texas Hold'em. And um, do you remember that one game we played? It was, it was I think Mark Creese had like a garage behind his house, yeah. We we're playing in there, and I think we went to start a game right after school, so we're playing after school, we're probably all of like 12 or 13. Yeah, I had to go to church, and somebody said, Val, aren't you Catholic? And I said, Yeah, I said, isn't today like uh Ash Wednesday? Don't they put something on your <laughs>
0: wow. I remember this now.
1: Remember Mark Kreese? He Mark Crease. he was all 12, right? 13. He's smoking a cigar. I guess he works for, well, we can't see what he does now. But anyway, he taps out the cigar and says, don't worry about it. He goes, Joe, you got any Vaseline? So I was like, ah, he goes, go look in your bathroom or something. So you, you come back out with like baby oil or Vaseline. Yeah, you and him are like the Bishop. You know, you put the Vaseline on my forehead and he put the, the cigar ashes on and I was good to go. I went home. I think I lost probably five bucks to you guys, but you know, I appreciate it. That's too funny. I forgot that story Do you mentioned it. <laughs> God, remember that my mother said, So you went to Mass? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, did, what did you talk about? Oh, you know, so <laughs> what frango. was
0: the sermon about?
1: <laughs> yeah, I just, Jesus was like was in a lot of pain. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> nowadays we could just look up online with this what the sermon subject was and know
1: it yeah yeah there's probably a live feed or something. yeah but continue then you started playing uh texas Hold'em.
0: yeah and i mean I, I've, I've kind of I even mean, with, with intermittent breaks throughout life i've kind of always played but when i moved down to florida we have casinos down here and so we have we have tournaments as well as cash games and they're kind of completely different so it just kind of evolved from there and I'm one of those guys, I'm a bit of an action junkie and the, I mean, the stakes just got higher and higher. And then we, at, what, at one point we didn't know if the games were honest. So a buddy of mine start. we started our own home game and we ran it for like a couple of years. We just, we just rented out a nice apartment somewhere and we just used it for poker two or three days a week. So we knew we weren't getting cheated. And then it just kind of evolved from there. And I mean, I play pretty much whenever I have free time now, now that my kids are grown. So, but I mainly pay, I mainly play cash. So, you know, there's guys who are tournament specialists who just travel the circuit. And, for example, the World Series of Poker starts next week in Vegas for six weeks leading up to the main event. And uh, so there's a there's lots of guys that just travel and play in tournaments because I work for a living. I'm not a professional. Uh, I do it recreationally. I mean, I mainly play in private or big cash games in the area.
1: I mean, how much how much do you ante in or how much does it cost money to get into the game? I mean, you know, of course, there's, there's
0: different stakes at different times. But typically, like our regular game that we play on Tuesdays and Fridays, um, you need a minimum of ten thousand, and some guys bring as much as a hundred thousand to play in the game. Uh, they, you won't necessarily put it all out at once, but you gotta have enough money to rebuy in a cash game if you get busted. I mean, you're not gonna come put five thousand out, lose a hand, and leave. So yeah, anywhere between ten and a hundred thousand. So what happens is throughout the evening it gets to be more and more money on the table as guys rebuy and put more money out, more money out. Uh, So by the end of the night is when the games get really crazy. People are stuck. They're chasing. The action gets even bigger. uh, And you can have huge hands. I mean, I remember I, I had one hand once where I won 160,000. So I won't forget that hand.
1: And I remember you were good at bluffing. I remember you, we'd say, Joe, show us your card. You'd say no. (laughs) you wouldn't
0: show us. You know what? I, I I really haven't changed my game much in 30 years. <laughs> so I'm I'm known, well besides the fact that I'm an amateur, I'm known as an action player. So yeah, like I'll put big bluffs on people. And the negative is if people have a good hand, they're going to they're going to call me more likely than someone else. But I also when I get good hands, people pay me off cuz they always think I'm bluffing.
1: Oh yeah. What is that type of player called? An action player?
0: Yeah, action. Um I mean, some pros would call it a fish. Because pros will wait for a big hand; they'll just be patient all night. They're just trying to win that one big hand against you and trap you. I prefer to call it be called the action player, though.
1: <laughs> so that one you won for one hundred sixty thousand was that like a really solid hand? Or-
0: well, no, it was. It was just a. I mean, it's a once in a million night. So it was actually at the Bellagio in Vegas. It was a very big game. Ironically, I was that game didn't get started until later in the evening. I went and played in the biggest game they had, which was like, I think I put five thousand dollars out. I ran it up to like twenty five thousand. Then all these big name pros came in and started a, a bigger game where you had to have a minimum amount of money of twenty five thousand dollars. And so basically, I took the winnings from the other game and went to it. I got it up to about sixty thousand, and then I got involved into a crazy hand three ways where. This this guy from like Columbia let out for like eighteen hundred dollars. Then this other guy after him made it four thousand. And I, I had the best starting hand you can have, which is pocket aces. And I just called him. And then the, the other guy had to call the four thousand. Well, he went ahead and made it fifteen thousand. So before you know it, we're all three of us are all in for fifty five, sixty thousand each. And it, my hand was well disguised because they would have figured if I had ace, I would have shoved instead of just smooth calling the guy. So I, I kind of had them trapped. They didn't know what kind of hand I had. And thank God my hand held up. Uh,
1: so, yeah, that was that
0: was a perfect scenario.
1: Smooth calling? What's smooth calling? So
0: smooth calling is when there's multiple people. Well, it just means that you know you have the best hand. And a lot of, most of the time, you'll raise them to try to get as much money in the pot as possible, um, as early in the hand as possible. But... But if you want to disguise your hand, you can just call them and let them take the lead, which means typically whoever raises first after a flop comes out, which is the three cards that initial. So so in Texas, you have two cards and then you have a community um, hand in the middle. So you bet your two cards, then they throw out what they call the flop, which is three cards. Everybody can play those three cards with the two in your hand to make the best five card poker hand possible so you bet again after the flop then they have a fourth card they throw out which is called the turn card then another round of betting and then the the final card the fifth card comes out which they call the river card and then you have a final round of betting so there's four different rounds of betting and then you're allowed to use the two cards in your hand along with the five cards that are community cards in the middle of the table and make your best possible five-card poker hand five cards are shared by everybody so all which is the five cards in the middle. So you have three. So you have you have you have a flop, which is three cards. So they so for example, say I have ace king and I bet, and somebody calls me with queen ten. Then they throw out three cards in the middle. Say it's queen ten deuce. We both can bet, call, or fold our hands, and the hand's done with. But if we both continue on, then another card comes out in the middle of the table, which is the fourth card, which is called the turn. Then you have another round of betting. And then they throw a fifth card out on on the table, which is called the river card. So in essence, you have seven cards to make the best five card hand you can. Okay. Everybody can use the five cards on the table and then use your own personal two cards as well.
1: Oh, okay. And those are the the initial two that you get, right? Your first two cards are down.
0: So you're trying to figure out strategically based on what the action or the betting is by that person and knowing, because we all both see what the cards are face up on the table, to figure out what they're, they could be betting. And, of course, you know what you have, so you can eliminate certain hands that they might have based upon what you know you've already got.
1: You know, like, what's a hand that you would really, that you, that was like, a really solid hand that you would just go all the way with?
0: Well, obviously, if you know you have the best hand. Uh, so, sometimes you get all the money in before any of the cards come
1: out on the table. So for
0: example, if I've got a big pocket pair like Aces and somebody else has a, one of the better starting hands, which would be Ace King or Kings or Queens and those two cards, sometimes you'll literally just get all the money in before any cards are even laid out. You just hope hope your hand's the best hand when it's all said and done. So that that'll happen quite frequently. And then other times you'll get all the money in at somewhere throughout the, the hand. So it might be after the first three cards or the flops thrown out there and then you get it all in and for example, one of you might have what we call a made hand. So that, that might be two pair, or that may be three of a kind. And someone else might have a draw. So they might have four cards to a flush or four cards to a straight. And then they're hoping that that fourth or fifth card, that turn or that river, makes their hand. And if they hit that hand, then they've got the best hand. But if they miss it, they've got nothing. Hence gambling.
1: Okay, so those so those are the basic rules. I, I could never do Texas hold. I mean, I, I imagine I could do Texas hold them if I Yeah, you would probably love
0: it because of the psychology. I mean, there's multiple ways to win or lose a hand. And as you're really learning players, what these top pros do is they're playing the player as much as they're playing their own cards. So if they're at a table, they're isolating players. How do you play a player? So if I go to a game tonight, I'll know there's two or three top-level pros. And these guys are so good. I mean, remember, these guys are 25-year-old kids. Their brain's not polluted with mortgages and kids and divorce and college. (laughs) <laughs> so all they do is eat, sleep, and play poker, and it's true. So their brains have an ex- unbelievable memory bank, and they they can recall how I played a certain hand before. So they'll see patterns of my behavior and how I'm betting a hand, and they 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 literally it's freaky that you're scared. You almost feel like they can see your your two hole cards because they sometimes you just feel like they know what you have. Wow! And so. I try to stay away from guys like that. So I'm much better off playing someone else who's loose or has, or is an action player like myself or an amateur because at least if I get all the money and I know I've got a decent chance to win that hand, where if I'm playing that top-line pro, I'm probably in trouble when the money goes in.
1: Are they the guys that wear the sunglasses and kind of sit back with their hat brim low? Yeah, I mean, that's not necessarily
0: true. I mean, typically those are the clowns. Um, I mean, the, I mean, there's a
1: reason why they do that. They're the guys that are online players, right? They're not used to people looking at them?
0: Yeah, well, the real pros know that they're not get, providing any tells. I mean, the only reason to wear sunglasses or to cover up your head is they're, they're trying to eliminate the possibility that another player is going to pick up a tell on them. Okay. Where they know if they're bluffing or they're strong or weak with their hand. But these real professionals, you'll notice. I mean, you, you know, the Phil Holmes and the Phil Ivies of the world, Daniel Legrano, none of those wear shades. None of those wear hoodies. Um, because they're good enough, they're not gonna they're not gonna give off tells.
1: Do you make yourself aware of your own tells? You try to, right? I mean, but that that's, that I just
0: made me think of a story. So we used to have this um, very wealthy lawyer who'd come to our game religiously, and I mean, this gentleman lost two million dollars a year for three or four straight years, never would win, and we picked up a tell on this guy, and every time he'd bluff, he would look up at the TV. And literally, so if he made a big bet, we would just wait a minute and see if he looked up at the television. If we did, we'd call. If he didn't look up at the TV, we'd fold the hand. It right, got to the right. point where it was almost comical. So, I mean, that's a really bad one. But yeah, I mean, you try to be aware of your tells. And the, one of the things I do wrong is I talk. And these really good pros don't talk because, you know, the, the reflection in your voice and the way you say things, they'll figure out if your hand's good or bad just by the way you're speaking and acting um but an amateur like but an amateur like me I mean part of the motivation going to games is the camaraderie the banter I mean being at a poker game is kind of unique to anything else in the world I mean everybody's got nicknames you're constantly you know busting each other's chops um it's entertaining and I'll pick games based on that sometimes if everybody's just so serious and no one's talking I mean it's part of the motivation for me to play so is the social aspect of it so i wouldn't go to a game like that or i would leave a game like that but you do run into that i mean they are just they're so focused on just playing well and winning money they're not about having a good time
1: so it's not that effective like say if you wanted to use just chatter and talking people to kind of get a sense. i mean you can do that with people nor- normally you can say hey what's going on with you you know you look like a mess today or something, just to kind of gauge what kind of mood somebody is in or how they're feeling. Yeah. We, we do it. You do it all the time. You find yourself doing that in, in a game, but you find it's not that effective. Uh, you get,
0: especially if somebody makes a big bet and you start talking to them, we call it, in, in the poker business, you call it an interview. So you kind of interview them and just try to get them to start talking. So maybe you can pick up some signs from them, some tells from them. And it's extremely effective against amateur players. It's, But it's ineffective of course, against top pros because they won't speak regardless. Uh, Cause it, they don't want to give anything away, but amateur players, you get them talking lots of times and it's amazing. Like you, you'll know what they have right away. Yeah.
1: It's like, Hey Mark, how you doing? I'm having a great
0: day. Well, you'll say things like, man, what do you got? You got a good hand or not? And then they'll respond. And usually again, they'll give away information by the way they speak.
1: Oh, so you just go straight for the, you just ask the question straight up. You don't even.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, there's yeah. You don't even beat around the bush. And you know, there's other aspects to as the day goes on. The people that are losing the most money, we call it stock. And the other term you call it is they start tilting. And all tilting means is that you start playing emotionally and you start playing poor poker. You, 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 you get out of the range that you're normally playing in because you're trying to win back your money. You're chasing your money. And those are the guys you want to get involved with in hands because there's a greater likelihood that they're not going to have a good hand they're just desperate and they're hoping to get, you know, they're hoping to get lucky to get their money back.
1: So they are swinging for the fence.
0: Yeah. Versus if you're playing. So if I'm in a hand with somebody who's winning a lot, they're probably playing more conservatively because they're already ahead for the night. They're trying to protect their winnings. So I'm much less likely to try to get into a big hand with that person than I am somebody who's stuck a lot of money and is chasing their money. So those, I mean, there's just so many factors when you start getting into hands that are, you know, you know, several thousand dollars before you make your decision and a lot of times it's a player where you are in the night who it is if they're pro or an amateur they're winning or losing uh, all those types of aspects
1: so at this point it's probably just second nature to you you, but do you find yourself being intentionally deceptive in any in any aspect of it
0: yeah so again it's easier to be deceptive against other amateur players guys who work for a living and do this um you know casually even though it's a lot of money they do it casually versus these kids that play every day because they i mean they practice at this they've honed their skills so that you just have no idea where they're at in the hand so yeah i typically you know i try to use those types of uh tools against the weaker players as we would call them
1: yeah so you're saying some of the better players they just they're robots. Literally, they keep their cards close to the vest. They're robots. They're like sociopaths. There's just no response. It, they, it almost seems like you'd be playing against a, a person with disassociative personality disorder, where they're just not really there.
0: No, it's that's that's a good that's a good uh, description, no doubt. Yeah.
1: Can you feel that? Like, how do you know that when you meet somebody?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it'll take some time playing with them, but but you know, you got to remember too. I've been playing so long, I know almost everybody. Who plays poker at high levels? So I already kind of know their game. I already kind of have notes on them. Um, and I try to stay away. If I go to a game, there might be two guys at that game I try to stay away from. I don't try to get involved in big pots with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have targets on who I want to try to get involved with in big pots.
1: You know I, I was thinking about it It's was like, God, Joe and me, we we were we were different growing up, and and I remember it. even when we played tennis, you you would always kind of win. but I remember thinking, what? And I, I know what it was. I used to feel, I used to, um, I, I could never like win a big tournament because I used to feel bad for people if they lost.
0: <laughs> yeah. Know? I don't know how the heck like, you were so I, successful in life. <laughs> I,
1: I, I don't, I, because I wasn't competing face to face with people, you know? So I, I think it's, I think that, that is an aspect of it where you just, you know, it, it's a game and everybody's agreed to it going in and that's just the way it is. But have you ever felt bad for anybody?
0: It's funny, well, yeah, but not all. but it's funny you say that because I'm kind of known as a clown, the funny guy, the likable guy, but people will say when at the table, I'm, I'm just merciless because I don't look at it as money, because if you look at it as money, you're going to play scared. I, I just look at it as chips, as a game, like you said. So, I mean, I, I'll step on someone's throat, I'll bury him, not realizing, for all I know, they're losing their last $30,000 in their bank account. So yeah, I've, I have heard that before. Whereas a top pro, they don't want to kill the golden goose. So if they have a, an amateur that they're beating up on, they might show mercy on them because they want them to keep coming back to the game week in and week out.
1: Yeah, they want the next, they want the next paycheck to come in,
0: right? Exactly. Where if they embarrass them or destroy them, uh, kill their spirit, they they could lose them. So it's funny. It is funny you say that. But I can get away with those things because I, I'm one of those guys. I'm an amateur. And I'm one of the guys they want their game because I'm high action. I bluff a lot. I talk a lot. I have a good time. Um, so they want me. So I'll, I'll get away with more than that pro could get away with.
1: I mean, it was always a great time playing cards when we were kids. I'm always and had a good time. I'd always leave with a few dollars less. But I was an amateur player. I was I was an amateur but play- I, I had a paper route, so you guys were nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you knew Valley had a little, I was collecting money on Thursdays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't get, make sure he comes back. He's got a job. Crispy tips are coming. Do you find yourself, you know, you see movies about the, you know, the classic pool shark where, you know, somebody's in there hitting balls around and they're playing kind of scrappy. They're not playing that well off the bat so somebody they lure somebody into a game and then suddenly they bring their a game in do you you ever find yourself doing
0: that uh well yeah yes um you know like the the big the big poker movie the rounders i mean that's a really and they did a really good job in that movie i mean that's really what it's like for the life of a poker player i mean it's it's weird buddy these guys are 30 years old they've never worked a real job in their life And they'll show up at games in a Bentley, and then you check back with them in a year and they're living off their buddy's couch. I mean, the swing, the financial swings these guys have are just unbelievable. You know, Uh, we were talking about the other day, you know, when cryptocurrency took off a couple, three years ago, a lot of these guys made two, three million dollars in two or three months in the crypto world. And they obviously, so they just became so flush. they started playing in bigger and bigger poker games. So when the crypto uh, market was going crazy a couple years ago, the poker world was flush with money and there were so many big games. Uh, It was crazy. I mean, we talked about it at, there'd be times at games where we would sell crypto. If you'd go broke at the game, you didn't bring enough cash. You would just get your computers out and you would send the other guy 20 or 30 or $50,000 in Bitcoin And he would pull out of his backpack $50,000 of cash and give it to you so you could buy back into the poker game.
1: So would you actually play games, buy chips with Bitcoin?
0: Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, most of the time you come with cash, but I maybe, especially someone like me who's working, I maybe I don't, you know, these guys carry around their Their life savings is in their car or their house, you know? So a professional guy won't necessarily bring that much money because I don't want to carry around that much. I might bring 10 or 20,000. And then either some of the game, you know, we'll kind of have it understood before I get there that if I need more, they'll either loan it to me or I'll just sell them Bitcoin. So, you know, now I'm not in that crypto world anymore, but back then I would just go online and you would copy and paste the the transfer code and whatever the going rate was at that moment, I'd send them over, you know, I told you one time I actually lost $80,000 in Bitcoin in one night at a poker game. And the only thing that makes me feel not as bad about it was it was in January of 18. And literally right after that, the market just plummeted. So that 80000 was probably only worth $15,000 4 months later. So I kind of laugh about that one. So you didn't
1: lose as much as you thought you did. Exactly.
0: Because I probably wouldn't have pulled it out. <laughs> the, the funniest part is the guy that bought it for me, I don't think, he, I mean, this is nothing for them to care about. He finished runner-up at the main event eight or nine years ago. So in one poker tournament, he won $5.5 million. Oh, my God. So that's crazy. Yeah. It was 8,000 players, and he took second. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't feel bad when the crypto uh, market and prices plummeted. I thought it was kind of funny, actually. Does anybody cheat? You always worry about it. I mean, I'm that's where I'm naive. You know, I've got buddies that are always on the lookout for it. But, you know, we play the majority of our games in casinos now. So, the odds of those dealers cheating, I mean, they'll get, they'll, they will be arrested by the casino and there's cameras everywhere. So, the, the risks are low. But it is funny because one of the big games I play at is in a, in a back room at a dog track, believe it or not, in St. Pete. And it uh, sounds like
1: 1935.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And the, and, the, and the first four or five times I went to the game, I, I mean, I'm just losing every time. And I felt like these players are really poor quality players. And I'd be, like, how the hell am I losing to you guys every week? And then they went to make a deck change. And they came out with these deck, these two decks in a case. And on the, on it had a sticker that said private game cards only. And I'm like, dude, what the F? Like, pro- Oh, so these are the special cards that, like, <laughs> that they have the deck set against us. And when they pull them out, Oh yeah. man. So
1: yeah. that made me, that made me wonder. <laughs> so what's the usual protocol? They, oh, you open up a brand new pack for each game. You- yeah. And they, they, you know, they show them face up to show you all the cards
0: are there and they have what they call automatic shufflers. So you stick them in a the machine that's underneath the the, uh, poker table and it shuffles them up for you. So the, the, the cheating aspect is more players. So they call it colluding and there's no doubt this goes on. And that is that, you know, two or three players at the game could be colluding together for all, you know, they're working together and they've, they've got signs for each other. And at the end of the night, they just chop up the winnings or losses, you know? So if a guy like me comes to the game and loses 30 grand, they'll chop that up three ways and take 10 grand each. Oh,
1: so they're just counting kind of, they are letting
0: each other know what cards they have. They've got signs. I mean, you, you grab your ear. I mean, the way you bat, the way you touch your chips. There's so many ways. It, it'd be impossible for someone like me to spot that stuff.
1: Have you ever thought of just? I'm like, in, uh, the actor of me in me is coming out. Have you ever thought of just creating a fake tell? Do people do that? I mean, how 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 how, how detailed does that get? That manipulation.
0: Well, the problem you've got is. A lot of play, a lot of people. So what that is in essence, a lot of times you'll act strong when you're really weak, or you'll act weak when you're really strong. So maybe I, maybe a guy bets and I raise them all in for five more thousand dollars. Then he sits there and he makes me sweat it out for a couple, few, two to three minutes while he's deciding. What he's doing is he's watching me to see to pick up towels. So a lot of times people will like me. I might act intentionally nervous when I'm not nervous. I've got the best possible hand. There's no way I could lose but don't think that they're not analyzing you as well to see if you're acting weak
1: and not because re- you're really strong. I mean, they're playing
0: they're they're, they're they're playing both ends too while they're trying to evaluate you.
1: It's like they're watching a movie. Like, God, do I buy this? I didn't buy that scene where he was acting nervous. How do you act nervous? <laughs> yeah.
0: So, you know, the thing is, you just when you get, get these top-level pros, you just – I don't try to play games with them. I just – I stay completely quiet, and I don't say a word. Now, I will try to outsmart weaker players.
1: Because you can get away with that stuff. I could give you a quick acting class if you wanted to. How to get that anxiety. Or do you create it yourself? Like if you have to act like you've got more.
0: I mean, a lot of it's controlled breathing. Like one of the things you can really look at. Um, I remember one time, this probably would only be funny to you if you were there. So we're in a private home game. Right. And one of the guys at the table is Gene Michael, a stick. He used to play for the Yankees and manage the Yankees. God rest us. So he passed away this past year. But Gene got into a big hand with me, and he, he shoved all in, like, three or $4,000. And I didn't really have anything. I had, like, the the only hand I could beat is complete bluff. Right. And I was just, I was going to fold. And I looked over, and Stick was breathing unbelievably heavy. And his vein was popping out of his neck, and his chest was going up and down. And the one thing about me is I'll not I, I I'll vocalize my thoughts. So I'm like, Stick, I don't, I don't have anything, but, man, you're breathing heavy. What, are you nervous? I, I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to call you, Dick. And Stick, uh, he was so embarrassed. The whole table just started laughing because <laughs> he turned over nothing embarrassed.
1: <laughs> Stick, you're, yeah, you're, so. your vein, you got to tell, you look like you're going to have an aneurysm. That's your tell. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think you just popped oh, a vein God. in your head.
0: Man, he was, a, he, I'll tell you, it's funny. You can tell he's professional. Habits. I mean, he was probably 70-something at the time, but just big hands. He used to laugh all the time. We teased him because he would only—I think he only hit like 17 home runs in the major leagues. And he's like, "I, I know one thing. I hit 17 more than you guys did." <laughs> <laughs> and he was constantly trying to challenge me to like a 50-yard dash. And the sapphires, i think he might have
1: won. <laughs> I mean, think of it though—he's a guy that stood on a plate while you know professional pitchers are throwing those balls, whatever, 90 miles an hour, yep. and he's sitting in a card game, and he's and he's sweating and he's and he's nervous.
0: I know it's it's buddy, I. Some of the most well, wealth, most wealthiest amateurs that come to our game, they wouldn't come back. Because they said the game was too big,
1: and they they've got a hundred times more money than some of us. So it's pain, it's 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 pain tolerance, right? It's risk tolerance. Pain tolerance. That's interesting. Like how much? Yeah. How much are you willing yeah. to take? I wish I had more of their mindset. You know, but uh-huh. yeah,
0: it's, it's funny. I mean, I remember guys stopped coming to our game. They're making millions of dollars a year in contracts, and they just said it was too big. Because they, they they came too relaxed, and the idea of losing ten thousand dollars a night wasn't fun to them, regardless of how much money they had.
1: You know? Yeah. Suddenly, you start doing the math when you're when you're in there when you're playing. But you you like that's interesting. You said you think of it. You just focus on the game, right? I mean, it's whether it's yeah. basketball in your hand or whatever whatever you have. You're just looking at the game. It takes a degree of compartmentalization.
0: Yeah. I, I and I don't know. I don't think it's not something I ever worked at. I just always looked at them as chips. Um, not money. I don't think you could do it if you're looking at it as money, unless you are extremely wealthy. You can't play free. <laughs> you're, 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 it's like professionals, you know, Tiger talks about playing one shot at a time. If you're worried about the results, if you're worried if you're going to win the tournament or not, you're not going to play your best golf. And it's no difference at poker. If you're worried about if, I, if I'm in this hand and lose, I'm going to be down $5,000,
1: you're not going to make the best decision. I'm trying to think. I think the thing that I risk the most now is just my time. I might work on something for a long time or like a spec script and then it doesn't go anywhere. And I think, ah, oh, that's my risk. Cause I, I risk time, but is there anything else that you do that doesn't have like a, a risk element that you enjoy?
0: Well, I'm single now. So dating, so dating women have some risks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> try not to sweat. <laughs> try, not to, try not to sweat. <laughs> Any surprises? You have had? it's probably your biggest surprise you've had as a, whether it's people or your environment?
0: Well, one of the things I find the most intriguing is nowhere else are you going to have the collection of different types of people across the spectrum of life than at a poker game. The the typical high-stakes game is going to have, you know, a corporate, somebody owns a major company, to a judge, to a surgeon, to a professional athlete, and then the other four guys are 25-year-old guys one of them's is probably a pot dealer, and that's where he gets his money from. The other two are pros. You would never see these people associate with each other if it wasn't at a poker table. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is, everybody in the poker world has a nickname. You know, shorthand Chris, the pantyhose John. I mean, everybody has a nickname. It's just so funny.
1: Pan- well, How'd Pantyhose John get pantyhose John? Is he wearing pantyhose or something?
0: Yeah, he said he used to wear these pantyhose. He, he used to wear pantyhoses because he had circulation problems. <laughs> oh yeah, the di-
1: diabetes. Yeah. What's your nickname?
0: Uh, red. <laughs> it's just red. I'm sure they might have some choice ones without me, but
1: yeah, you know, I was, you know, I was thinking about something the other day, and yeah, I wanted to apologize to you. I was thinking about something. I noticed this is a podcast about intelligence, but I have to say my worst intelligence failure was probably at age 13. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. Everybody was kind of breaking up into cliques, you know, and talking about each other. And this person was this, and this person was this. And there was this—I think it was seventh grade. There was a lot of kind of social pressure to be cool and to get everybody to like you. And I remember I was coming down the stairs, and friend of mine. he was yep. kind of, he was kind of s- sneaky. One time we we're walking down the stairs and he's walking down the stairs really slow. And uh he goes, Man, what do you think of Joe Rivers? <laughs> he's like, see that shirt he's wearing or something like that. And I was like, Joe's stupid. He's he he dogged me out, huh? He's. I just totally dogged it. I'm like, yeah, Joe's kind of a jerk sometimes. Da, da, da. And you were like standing right behind us. And you go, thanks, fellas. And you just walked by. <laughs> I think we talked again for like, you know, I don't know, maybe a week or something. And I think sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, kid was in on it. You know, I, th- I think that's why
0: in 11th grade I didn't vote for you for prom king. Yeah,
1: that's why. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Joe. So anyway, I want to apologize for that. So yeah. Well, you're
0: forgiven, but no need
1: to apologize, Mark. I'm just going from house to house apologizing for everything. <laughs> poker player, Joe Rivers, old friend, uh, thanks for being on the live drop.
0: I appreciate it. It was nice getting, catching back up with you.
1: So, yeah, uh, we're done, Joe.
0: It wasn't even like it's a podcast. It was just like us shooting the shit.
1: That's my interview with old friend and poker player Joe Rivers. You can find him on Instagram at Rivers483JoeRivers. Joe Rivers. uh, More information is available on the episode notes at thelivedrop.com. Thanks for listening and the transmission.